Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14, Paul says that those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Even as the Spirit of God led Christ because He was the Son of God, we, when we receive the Holy Spirit, um, and we are led by that Spirit, that proves that we are the children of God. We have been adopted and um, we are in right standing with God. We are yoked with God and, and we can expect God to lead us. We can expect God to speak to us. And it's just a beautiful dynamic of the father and son relationship. In verse 15, Paul goes on to say that by the Spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And then he says in verse 16 that the Spirit witnesses into our spirit that we belong to God, that we are His children, and that we inherit from God. In a way, Christ inherited from His Father. And he says, similarly, we can inherit not only from Christ, but we can inherit from the Father. There is a legal inheritance that's due us. Why? Because we're the sons of God. So Paul explains all of that most beautifully here in Romans chapter 8. We can be led by God and we cry out, Abba, Father, and we have this inheritance and it's all beautiful. But here's the question. Now that you are the son of God and you're the daughter of God and the Spirit of God lives within you, do you really care for your father's interests? Do you care for his heart's desire? Do you really care for his burden, for his will, for his way? As a son, as a daughter, are you just, in a way, glad that you get to go to heaven? You've got some kind of a ticket to the afterlife? Or, by virtue of the Spirit of God within you, are you really concerned for the Father's interests? This is the message today that I want to impress you with. It's a good thing that you're saved. It's a great thing that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that you've been adopted. But now that you are a son and you are rightly related to the Father, do you care for the Father the way that Christ Jesus, the Son of God, cared for his Father? Jesus constantly would say, I do what I see my Father do. I speak what I hear my Father say. I judge by the Father's judgment. I work by the Father's work. I don't just do things for Him. He's working and I join Him. And so Christ constantly referenced His Father. And you can tell there was a yoke, there was a bond. The Father, in a way, was Christ's magnificent obsession. He really wanted to take care of His Father's heart. Where are you? in this dynamic of parent-child, father-son, father-daughter relationship? Is God really just a means to serve your self-interests and get to you what you want? Is God really out to serve your desires, your way, your will? Or really, 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 really are you for Abba Father's will? Well, come with me and let's explore this. And we're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter 8. We're going to start in Romans, chapter 8, talking about this issue of crying out, Abba, Father, and being adopted as a son and daughter. And then we're going to transition to John 8. And we're going to see how Jesus related to his Abba, Father. 
and how the religious people of his day related to a father. But in the words of Christ, it was not Yahweh, Father God. It was a different father altogether. And what makes the distinction is whose desires they wanted to fulfill and the lifestyle that they that they were after um, was it a lifestyle really for father god or was it a lifestyle for another father altogether let's explore these things now Paul says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, bringing you into fear again. But you've received a spirit of sonship, or we may also say a spirit of adoption, whereby you can cry out, Abba, Father. In verse 16, the Spirit Himself witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. We are, on the one hand, the heirs of God. And on the other hand, we are heirs with Christ. You will notice in verse 14, 15, and 16... um, Uh, 17, a little bit onwards there in verse 23, you will see that Paul now uses this phrase, sonship. We are children, and he calls God now Father. In the first seven, eight chapters of Romans, Paul really presents a legal trial for a man to be justified before God, for a man to become a righteous before God, for a man's sins to be forgiven. And in the first seven chapters and a little bit there in the early portions of Romans 8, a lot of legal terms are used to describe in a way a court case, a kind of a trial where there is a prosecution, a a condemnation, and there is a law and a standard that has to be fulfilled and how a Savior, a Messiah, an Adam paid for you and how you can become righteous by faith in Him. And a lot of legal terms are used constantly. And then right here in verse 14, the tone changes. And He calls you and I now sons. And we are children. And we are heirs. And He calls God our Father, and He creates a relationship between me and God now of a father and a son. Initially, in the foregoing chapters of Romans, again, I am just sort of a convict. I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm a person on trial, and I have that identity of being alienated from God and separated from God, and I have fallen short of the glory of God. But there's not this tender term of a father and a son relationship pictured. It's the court case. But now the court case is over. Christ paid. The Spirit came and and, and set me free from the, the law of sin and death. And all condemnation and wrath has been satisfied in the death of Christ. And Paul says, now what? Who am I now? Am I just this convict that's forgiven? Am I just this sinner who now lives? Just I'm the sinner forgiven. I'm just not good enough. Uh, I'm just this kind of a victim. Praise the Lord, at least I'm not in prison. Paul says, no. Actually, your life is now so radically changed. Your identity is so radically changed. You're no longer a prodigal. You're no longer just a prodigal clothed with a robe and with a kind of a ring and a kind of a sandal, yet living outside of the house as a slave, as a servant. Paul says, no. You are actually now, just like Christ, the very son and daughter of God. And he says, 
you are so much accepted, you are so thoroughly welcomed into the house that you actually inherit God. And all that God is and all that God has is actually yours. You are an heir of God. Then he says, oh, but you're also an heir of Christ. All that Christ has and all that Christ accomplished, it's yours. You're an heir. And so Paul now does a marvelous thing here. He yokes me to God now as a son. He's the father and I am the son. In verse 15 he says, you're no longer a slave. You're free. You don't have to fear God in a, in a phobia kind of a way. You, you, you're a son. You can look God in the eyes. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. You can be confident before God. And then he says, you have been adopted in verse 15. You're not an alien. You're not just some visitor who visit God and then leave and backslide. A little bit in the house and then outside in the pig pen again. He says, no, you, you're now a thorough son. And then furthermore, he says, you can cry out, Abba, Father. You don't have to call God just the deity, some God, or even Yahweh. It's more tender than that. You can now call God Abba, Father. And it's almost as though, beloved, hear me, it's almost as, as though Paul tells us the very crux of the spiritual life, how it now will operate. It will operate in a kind of a, 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 a dynamic of me and God being father and son, or you and God being father and daughter. Many of us walk with God as though it's an interrogation. We put God on trial. Paul says, no. You don't have an interrogatory kind of a relationship with God. No. God is Father, your Son. God provides, you receive. God leads, you obey. God has it all, you steward it all. Your relationship with God now is one of that of a father and a son. And it's almost as though Paul is hinting at the life of Christ here. Because to understand what a proper relationship between a father and a son is all about, you and I don't have to look too far um, outside of the Gospels and the life of Christ. Because there is the perfect relationship between a father and a son that Paul says now, that can be actually your interaction with God. We don't put God on the stand anymore. We don't put God on trial anymore. Uh, I don't boss God around. I'm the son. God's the father. And that relationship was pictured for us by Christ himself. Now, I want to quickly go on a rabbit trail and show you something here, beloved. Um, regarding the issue of father and the mentioning of the word father in both the Old Testament and within the New Testament. So years ago, um, I began to observe, especially in the New Testament, how often the word Father occurred, and especially in John's Gospel, that I began to make a little bit of a study. And depending on the translation that I used versus the one that you used, here are more or less a couple of statistics of how frequently the word Father is used in the Bible at large. First, let's look at the Old Testament. Believe it or not, in the 39 books that we have in the Old Testament, the actual word Father is only used 17 times according to the translation in which I count it. Most of the time, God is referenced as Elohim or Eloha, which is God, or Adon or Adonai, as we would say, uh, Lord, 
or God is mostly referenced as Yahweh. But the word Father, this tender, intimate, endearing, up close and personal kind of a, a name of God is not that frequently used in the Old Testament. But when you come to the New Testament, the tone changes. Of course, the covenant changes. And the interaction of God with man changes. So you're going to find the word Father used a little bit more coming to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, we just were sort of worshippers of God. And the word, the name Yahweh indicates the, the covenant part of God. So we were in a covenant with God. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So I guess I can trust Him. He's, he's my God. But here in the New Testament, things get a lot more intimate and a lot more tender. And the word Father, this, this characteristic of this God whom we're serving, this Creator God, this Covenant God, it becomes more endearing. So if you look at Matthew's Gospels, there's about 24 references to God as Father. You may know one of them. Our Father, which is in heaven. So there's one of them, for instance. If you come to Mark's gospel, the word father is used approximately three times. Marcus capitalizing more on the miracles of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And the word father is just not that frequented in Mark's gospel. It's not the focus of Mark's gospel. Luke's gospel doesn't focus on the word father all that much either. It's about seven times. Luke's gospel is on the man Jesus, the interaction of Jesus with people. When you come to John's gospel, everything changes. So think of Matthew 24, Mark 3, uh, Luke 7. If we add that up, we have about 34 or so references to God as Father in the Synoptic Gospels. Flip the page to John's Gospel, and what do you see? 79 references just alone in John's Gospel. In John's Gospel, you get the overwhelming impression that that narrative of Christ is a narrative of His relationship to God as a son to a father. All throughout John's Gospel, he will constantly reference his father. And John will narrate that for you and I. Mark doesn't do it. Luke doesn't do it because they're not trying to point out that aspect of Jesus' life. So John's Gospel, 79 times in the letters of John, which um, I'm one of those that still believe that the letters of John also was written by the same Gospel writer, um, many, many folks do not believe that, but hey, be that as it may, in the, the few letters of John there in the back end of your Bible, the Father aspect of God is referenced 12 times. So you can see whoever this John was, he caught onto this, this new dynamic of walking with God. It's not just God as Creator, God as covenant-keeping God of my ancestors. But it's, it's, it's God who's my dad, my Abba. And He shows that most beautifully through Christ's interaction with His Father. And then, of course, in the rest of the New Testament, the letters of Paul, etc., etc., Father is just referenced some 24 times. So you can clearly um, come to the conclusion that John has an agenda. John's Gospel wants to picture something for you and I. And so I, at times, have even called John's Gospel the Gospel of the Father. Because it is so blatantly pushing this to the forefront that Christ was a Son, the Son of God. And God was His Abba, His Dad, His Father. So we see that uh, Father is used some 166 times in the Bible, 91 times in John's Gospel and the letters, and only 75 times then in the rest of the Bible. 
So I dug into this a little bit deeper. This is just to strengthen my argument that in John's gospel, there are some 878 or so verses. 447 of those verses, Jesus speaks. And 160 times during Jesus' speaking, He talks about His Father. And if you add it all up, more or less a third of all of Jesus' speaking in John's gospel is about His dad. It's about His Father. So I want you to turn now to John chapter 8. And I want to show you something there for just a minute. This is the gospel of the Father. And the same interaction that Jesus had with His Father, that same gentleness, that same confidence, uh, that same assurance that Jesus had, in a way Paul says, you and I can have that. Christ then is a role model of walking with God. My spiritual life, my life in Romans 8, because of the blood of Christ and because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, what should it produce? It should produce a walk and a lifestyle very similar to what Jesus had with His Father. So I then encourage you, the next time you read John's Gospel, take you a highlighter or a pen or something, and notice all of the many, many references to the Father. There are these um, generic references, and then in particular when Christ speaks, He will directly reference His Father. And you'll see, pay attention how Christ acted before His Father, how He viewed His Father, how He understood Him, how He submitted, how He obeyed and was led by the Father. And there's the secret to your Christian life. But I do want to um, draw a little bit out of John chapter 8, a contrast for you between the people in religion and their relationship with God versus Christ and His relationship with God. Now, in John chapter 8, we have the scene where Jesus has a confrontation with the people of God. We say the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, and particularly the staunch religious leaders of the Jews. These are the chosen people. These are the people who not only believe God is creator, but they believe He is Yahweh. He's the covenant God. He's the God of their forefathers. He's the God of their heritage, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David's God. This is our God. And Jesus is going to have really strong words for those who think that God is their father. And what he's going to show is God is actually in a tender, obedient, loving way. You have no relationship with God whatsoever. God is maybe just some religious mantra or some tradition. God is just a kind of a custom. He's not Abba. He's not Father to you. And Christ is going to go even so far as to say, your Father, the one that you're endeared to, the one that you submit to, the one that you really love, is your Father, the devil. So to draw out the contrast between Christ's interaction with His Father and the people in religion's interaction with the Father, John chapter 8 is perhaps the best. In John chapter 8, we want to pick up there in verse 37. In the foregoing verses, He talks about how Christ will set them free. And, he argue, and they argue with him, we're not enslaved. Of course, they were enslaved to the Romans. They're enslaved to fear. They're enslaved to religion and performance. And they're enslaved to money. But of course, they're so blind, they can't see. 
So Christ says, I'm the only one that can make you free. So the argument goes on in verse 37. Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's seed. I know that you're the offspring, the children of Abraham. I mean, I get that. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Let's just stop here and go through this in a simple, systematic way. He accuses them of not really having the word inside of them. So, in a way, here is Jesus' interaction with his Father, and here is religion's interaction with the Father. And the immediate contrast that is drawn here is that the people in religion just have the, the heritage, the tradition, the custom that dwells within them. Christ has the speaking of God within him. Because you're going to see here, he's drawing a contrast. I listen to my father. And that's really what a child is supposed to do. Paul would say in Romans 8 verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit, they're the sons of God. Here, the religious people are not led by the Spirit of God at all. They're led by tradition and custom and heritage, etc., etc. So religion is not open to the Word of God. Religion blocks the speaking of God. Religion doesn't listen to God. So you just have to evaluate your spiritual life a little bit. If you're just merely in a Christian tradition, then the Word of God will not dwell within you. If you really are in Romans 8, and in a proper relationship with the Father, then His Word will dwell within you. So Jesus takes the Father speaking, they take tradition. They just take Bible verses, and they just take formulas and ordinances. They don't have the rhema of God in them. Verse 38, Jesus says, I speak the things which I have seen with my Father. So you can see that Jesus looks to His Father. He beholds His Father. He studies His Father. Jesus is constantly looking up to God to receive from God. So He beholds God. Jesus, a son, beholds His Father. A son do not pack up his inheritance and beholds the world and go live in a pig pen. A son constantly looks to Dad. Dad, what do you want? Dad, what's on your heart? Dad, what is your mind? So Jesus says, I speak the things which I have seen with my Father. You do the things which you have heard from your Father. So he begins to draw a contrast that Jesus has a Father, they have a Father. So he beholds the real Father, they behold some other kind of a father. And you'll see towards the end, he is going to call Satan their father. In other words, they care for the things of the enemy of God. Christ cares for the things of God. They are in contradiction. So Romans 8, if we can just back up here and just keep all this in the forefront of our mind. Paul is trying to say, you're an heir of God and an heir of Christ. The same way Christ behold the, beheld the Father, you ought to behold the Father. The same way Christ heard the Father and received the speaking of the Father, you ought to do the same. Religion, ah, it beholds entirely something else. That is, religion is preoccupied with something else but God the Father. In verse 39, Jesus um, hears their rebuttal. They say, our father is Abraham. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. 
So in a way here, there's a little bit of a contrast again. You're going to see that Jesus does the works of His Father. And He says that in John's Gospel over and over again. Whatever my Father does, I do. My Father has been working up until now. I'm working. I just copy my dad. As a son, I just learn from my dad. He says, no, you do the works of your father. And the devil in just a minute. But really, whose works are you going to do? They say, we, we do the things of Abraham. In a minute, he's going to say, no, you're just not. Verse 40, but now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. I want you to know here that in religion, they seek to kill. Of course, in uh, Christ's life, you're going to seek, he, he seeks to save. There's a little bit of a contrast there. You seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Verse 41. You do the works of your father. Like you obey and submit to another father. And they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We've got one father. His name is God. We're the children of God. And they're trying to say, Hey, we obey God. We do the works of God. We behold God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I come forth from God. I didn't come from myself. I've not come of myself, but He sent me. And I obey. Whatever my father says, whatever he does, whatever he commissions, as a son, I obey. Verse 43. Why don't you understand my speaking? It's because you cannot hear my word. And you see, Christ heard the Father's word. Religion cannot hear the word of God. Because it's in bondage. And it's in fear. and slavery. And then here comes the shocking verse 44. Perhaps the most shocking words for me in all of John's gospel. Even in all of the Bible. And I want you to notice, he talks here to people who are doing religious practices. They are reading the Bible. They are saying prayers. They dress a holy way. They tithe. They go to the temple. They do, they do all the religious things. And here Jesus says, You are of your father, the devil. And I want you to notice here, you do the desires of your father. And here is the bottom line of spirituality, the spiritual life, even the Christian life. Seemingly, we have two fathers with two dichotomous, opposing, contradictory desires. And the issue is, which father's desire will you listen to, take, and live out? And according to the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, he, in a way, is doing the desires of his father in heaven. And they are doing the desires, the wishes, the will of a different father, even the enemy of God. So Paul then comes in Romans chapter 8 and he says, You were once a, a child of the devil. You did the desires of your father, the devil. You were a sinner. You rebelled against God. You were alienated against God. You were even in the flesh the enemy of God. Now Paul comes and he says, Hey, because of Christ, you have been brought into the house. You've been given a robe and a ring and, and sandals and you've been reinstated in the house. You don't have to fear God. You don't have to work for God. You can cry out, Abba, Father, you're accepted. 
But here's the issue now. Will you live the spiritual life caring for your father's desires? Or is the spiritual life for you and I all about my desires and how the father can accommodate me? Then we're back into idolatry. See, a son comes into the house, he's perfectly free, but his desire is to please his dad. That is, whatever you say, pups, whatever's on your mind, dad. And Paul is trying to say, you have now that yoke to God, the way Christ was yoked to his father. And you see, religion cannot receive from God. Religion cannot submit to God. Religion doesn't care for the will of God. And by religion, I just mean you and I in the flesh. You and I in nominal Christianity, cultural Christianity. We really do not care for God's will whatsoever. It's about me. You bless me. You do for me. And Paul says, no. The same way. That Christ had a relationship with his dad. It's like, God, whatever your will is, wherever you go, if you stop, if you go, I'm in. And you'll see in John's gospel, constantly he talks about his dad. What do you and I talk about? He says, you do the desires of your father, the devil. Yeah. We can no longer be in the new covenant retaining the desires of our old life and, and, and the old satanic will and the old satanic way. We have been separated from that. We can now cry, Abba, Father, what is your will, Dad? What is your desire? You do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. That is, the desires of Satan is to kill, to make dead, to derail. As the sons and daughters of God, we should be those who now live and have abundance and victory and overcoming. Doing the, the, the satanic desire is going to kill you. So he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth. So you see that in God... There is truth when I abide with my Father, when I walk with my Father. I'm in the truth and I'm free when I stay with the old desires and the old Father. Oh, there is confusion and there is the lie. Then he says, when it comes to this Father, the devil, there is no truth in him. If you are yoked to the satanic father, then everything you do is a lie. Everything you are is a lie. And this is what Jesus is accusing the religious people of. You're, you're just going through the motion, but it's a sham. It's a show. You're not really yoked to God. You're actually yoked to somebody who has no truth in him. Paul says in Romans 8, we are the sons of God. So we can now come into the truth. And as Christians, we should be free. He says, when he speaks the lie, he speaks out of his own resources, out of his own nature. My Bible puts the word in, he speaks out of his own possessions, out of his own substance. For he is a liar and the father of it. The one word that Jesus basically uh, capitalizes on here in this last sentence is just everything about Satan is a lie. It looks good. Religion looks good. But man, it's going to kill you. It's a lie. There is no truth in it. So back to Romans chapter 8, if you will. We are now apparently... The sons of God. We are the daughters of God. We are the children of God. And you see there that the Spirit then witnesses with my spirit that I belong to God. 
So if the Holy Spirit witnesses with you, then He will baptize the desires of God into you, the mind of God and the will of God into you. And now, what is the Christian life? What is the spiritual life? What is the Romans 8 version of spirituality? That is, I am now led by God. I behold my God. I hear Him. I constantly say, is it your desire that I go here? Is it your desire that I do this? Is it your desire, Dad, that I marry, that I remain a single? But God, what is your desire? And Christ lived his entire life for the desires of his father. And here's religion that lives its entire life under a pretense of the worship of God, but it's the desires of the very enemy of God. So the issue is not how you and I dress, how we look, how we pray. The issue is, do you hear the voice of your father? Do you submit to the voice of your father? Do you obey the voice of your Father? This is Paul's contention here in uh, Romans. Look at verse 16. The Spirit witnesses. That word there uh, is, is difficult to render into the English language. But we can take a stab at it. The Spirit solidifies that you belong to God. The Spirit realizes that you belong to God. The Spirit confirms. The Spirit agrees. We might say the Spirit testifies. The Spirit binds to you this, this, this dynamic that God is Father and you're a son. So, beloved... If you then so-called walk in the Spirit, but you don't behold the Father and constantly say, Lord, what is your will? Lord, what is on your heart today? Then you are not walking in the Spirit. Listen carefully. If you walk in the Spirit, then the Spirit will constantly witness and testify and make real that, that you're a son of God and that God is Father. And if you then have this sense that I belong to God, I'm a son of God, then you'll see naturally the Spirit of Christ is in you. And how did the Spirit of Christ work with him? He constantly referenced his Father, constantly talked about his Father, quoted his Father, walked with his Father. So if the Spirit is in you, if he witnesses with you that you are in that relationship, in the very spirit of submission and humility and tenderness and the spirit of taking care of the Father's heart is in you. Therefore, your spiritual life should be one constantly consulting God, constantly looking to God, constantly receiving from God. Here's the converse. If you do not receive from God, are you walking in spirit? No, you're probably in religion. And religion will only do what is right in its own eyes. And religion will kill the Word of God in you. Religion will kill faith in you. So that spirit witnesses with ours. I belong to God. And that spirit will baptize into you confidence and boldness and, 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 and the desire of God and the will of God. And yes, you're an heir of God, but you're the heir of Christ, like Christ is imparted into you by the Spirit of Christ. And that same desire that was within Christ to obey His Father, that's in you. And that is the spiritual life. Paul does not extrapolate on this a whole lot. But the tone is so beautiful. I can now say, Abba, Father. I'm not afraid of God. I can totally, in tenderness, submit to the Father's will. And even if I were to suffer, and even if I were to be led like a lamb to the slaughter, I will not get mad at God. I will stay tender before my Father, because He knows best.
And even if he slays me, I will trust him. Spirit witnesses with our spirit. That is, if your spirit is not made alive, if you're just in religion, let's say, the spirit can't witness with your spirit. Your spirit is still dead. But if the spirit made you alive, then you should have this inner agreement with your spirit because your spirit and the Holy Spirit has become one. He indwells you and He floods you with a testimony and, and, and an agreement. But if you are just in religion, you, you cannot be led by God. You cannot hear God. That's why people in religion, me and you, when we're not in spirit, we're in the flesh. We, we cannot hear God. And so we're in constant confusion and we're constant panicking and in fear and in anxiety. And so we do what is right in our own eyes. But here the Spirit witnesses with my spirit. That is, He speaks to my spirit. Your spirit's been made alive. Your spirit can hear God. Your spirit can sense God. Your spirit can feel inside a vibration, a, a moving, that, that God is real. Again, I don't have words for these things. These things are difficult to explain um, in the English language. But there is a settledness within me that I belong to God. Now, if you say that you have this settledness within you, my question still remains. You say that you belong to God. I say I belong to God. Then here's the issue. Whose desires is constantly at the forefront uh, of your life? My desire or the Father's desire? Don't say, oh, I'm a Christian, and yet you have no regard for the heart of God or the desires of God. I was with a, uh, a very old lady. I always hang out with old people. Let me just in full disclosure. Long ago, I met a beautiful old lady. Oh, I suspect by now she's, um, she's already with the Lord. But she, when she would pray, I latched onto this, it was so good. She would constantly say, she would say, Lord or Father, I'm available for your plans and purposes only. And she would pray over me. And she would say, Lord, Francois is available for your plans and purposes only. And that simple phrase, his plans, his purposes, that is his desires, that latched onto me so tight that often when I pray, I say, God, today I'm available for God's purpose, for God's desire, not the, the, the devil's desire or the world, but God's desire. I have another man that has uh, influenced me from China and um, receiving from his ministry, he, he put it even simpler. Um, I hear him often speak in this, this way. He said, I am here for your interests on the earth. A lady taught me, I'm here for the Lord's plans and purposes. Another Chinese man said, I'm here for your interests, God. And there is the difference between the life of Jesus and the life of religion. One was for the interests of self and ego. And one was for the interests, truly the plans and purposes of God. In closing, Paul says, those who are the sons of God that are for the interests of God. They are led by God. And they cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit witnesses with them. And they are heirs of God and heirs of Christ. That's how we live the spiritual life. They take care of Abba's desires. But if I live in the flesh... Paul says, by the way, you're not in the flesh. The Spirit of God is in you, if indeed He is in you. 
In the flesh, I just care for the self. But now that I'm a spiritual man, I constantly have to say, Father, what is your interest today? Are you at this wedding I'm supposed to go to? Are you on this road trip I'm supposed to go on? Father, is it your interest today that I just sit the entire day in front of the TV and veg? Is it your interest that I watch pornography endlessly uh, today? Is it, is it, Father, is it really your desire today that I do A, B, and C? If you can train your spirit and the spirit within you can lead you to constantly say, God, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? I tell you, He will lead you in your marriage, your relationship. He will lead you in where you should go and what you should not do. Because that's what He did for Christ. And I can receive that lifestyle and that interaction even today. Amen. Whose desires are you fixating on? When you lay awake at bed, are you constantly saying, God, what is your heart today? What is your heart tomorrow? Or are you constantly plotting? You know, a man makes his own plans and the end thereof is only death. That's why we need to submit ourselves to God. Say, Father, what is your desire? And the way that you will do that is to say, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, I trust you. I'm going to obey you.